All Things in the Name of Love, with your host, Dr. Erica Riesberg. Music performed and written by Megan Moreau. Can you help me redefine truth and preservation of our soul shine? I can feel it, yours and mine. Close your eyes and witness it inside. In your bones, you will know. Trust and let go. Episode 55, Grounding and Connecting to Your Inner Guidance with Sue Henry. My guest today is Sue Henry. Sue teaches women how to impact more lives in less time and with less effort by being a guest on podcasts that have a built-in audience filled with their ideal clients. Sue has had more than 5,500 people from 18 countries (laughs) attend one of her Butts and Seeds training and more than 4,000 online trainings. She shared the stage with Jack Canfield, Brian Tracy, Bob Berg, Ivan Meisner, Keith Ferrazzi, Stefan R.M. Covey, Lisa Nichols, Janet Atwood, Ann Sieg, and more. Her podcast guest coaching program provides clients with a done-with-you process to successfully increase your influence, reputation, list, ad sales. Podcasts are the perfect venue for women who want to speak as a way to impact and grow their business consistently and predictably. Sue and her husband are organic, grass-only dairy farmers in southeast Minnesota. They have six grown kids and six adorable grandchildren. She loves to read Regency romances, cook, road trips, and attend marketing conferences and events. Sue, it is such a pleasure to have you on the show, and I am so excited to share this fascinating, probably the most exciting introductory story that I've had on the podcast. So let's launch in with it. So you know how sometimes when you're so busy trying to find the answers that you're not listening, you're just, Mm -hmm. and that's what your name was on. And then we, we went through all of this, it's really expensive and it takes a lot to get your organic certification. So we had gone through this process and we were at the point where we'd had our land certified and our, and our animals, our dairy farm certified. And, and it was the first night of, of our organic milking and we were broke. You know, people say they don't have two nickels to rub together. We didn't have two pennies to rub together. We had six kids. I mean, it was a nightmare. And, and I was speaking a lot, but I wasn't, I wasn't making money. So at any rate, my husband goes up to milk the cows and I take a daughter into and she wanted, her friend was in this Shakespeare play and it, you know, about three minutes in, I'm thinking, oh, please let me just get out of here. <laughs> and, so, and so I'm thinking, okay, how can I get my daughter to leave her friend when she's here to support her, but she didn't drive. So I had to drive her. And then it hit intermission and I had eight missed calls. And I knew in that moment something was wrong. And, mm-hmm. and, it, and the first message I listened to was one of my daughters. And she says, mom, the barn's on fire. And we can't find dad. And my heart sunk. And we got in the car. We drove the 20 miles back home. And about five miles away, this was a 100-year-old barn. We didn't own the farm yet. It was it was in a trust for my mother-in-law, who was in an assisted living memory care center. And you could see the flame shooting up from this 100-year-old barn. And, and so I go. And of course, my first concern is, where in the hell is my husband? 
And mm-hmm. and there were 14 fire trucks because mm-hmm. the sounds because the wind was blowing and it was such a massive building. And now the embers were blowing across to the two houses and to the other shed. One of the sheds we had had all the sawdust that we used for bedding in it. So <sighs> you're going, what are we going to do? You know. And so at any rate, I go and I see my husband is okay. And and so then, the, you know, we didn't get much sleep that night. And so that was our first organic milking. We didn't even get a check from it because everything went down the hill. Well, the state of Minnesota gives you 30 days to rebuild. Well, you can't even submit plans to a bank and have them approve a loan in 30 days. But because I was so well networked, I went and I, and I reached out. There, was, there were three people I knew that worked with private investors. So I sent an email to those three people. I said, this is what happened. This is what we need, blah, blah, blah. And I, and I told them, I explained that, you know, we don't get the insurance money. Although we were pay, paying the premium, we didn't read the fine print to know that the, the money from the insurance actually went into the trust. It didn't go uh. And so we were screwed. And so, uh. and so anyway, 15 minutes later, I got an email that said, you've got the money we can close on Tuesday. I mean, that, that fast. And it was, and it was because of all those relationships and connections I'd built before. So, so then we knew that obviously we had to have money to pay back the loan because the cattle, they're traumatized because of this barn going up. And my husband's running through trying to get him out of the building while huge timbers of this dry wood are falling and he's trying to get out of this building. We only lost one calf due to smoke inhalation, but, but nobody got burned and you know everybody was, everybody was out. So it, that was good. But the milk production just dropped. And then, oh, yeah. and then we weren't on a milk anymore. And so then you sit there and what do we do? So that night, I was finally, you know, they say when the student is ready, the teacher will, will appear. And I knew mm-hmm. at that moment that the only way we would see our way out of this was I had to figure out how to monetize speaking. But that's without pitch slapping from, from the stage because, because that doesn't work. And especially women, we feminine style is different. We're nurturers. We're not pitch slappers, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so I sat down and all of a sudden, through divine manifestation, divine guidance, I wrote out exactly what to do. It's something that I had never heard before. It was something I've never heard since. And I implemented it at my next speaking opportunities. And all of a sudden, at that one moment, it was so pivotal. I went from not making any money to speaking to creating a system. So within two months of speaking, because of the follow-up system, I was generating six to $8,000 a speaking gig on a $500 product. And that's in a group of 40 people. And so it was because of that divine inspiration that I knew I was, I finally surrendered and said, I don't know what to do. Please help me because we are so vulnerable right now. And we don't want to lose everything. And that's, that's what happened. And it was, it, it, like I said, it was, it was one of, it was a very spiritual moment. And, and I will always remember the feelings. I'm going to get teary now, but I will always remember the feelings of gratitude I had that in spite of all of my flaws, someone or something loved me enough to help me at that moment. Mm, I got chills from that. And you tap into such a, a beautiful feeling that we have of recognizing that we don't think we're worthy, and yet we are. Right. And, and I think that 
the world tells us we're not enough. I, I was talking to somebody earlier and I asked her why she was afraid to speak. And she said, because I used to talk a lot in school and I was always punished. And I took it as a message that nothing I had to say was worth listening to. Mm. And how many times do, maybe that's not what was meant, but we, we take this this message and we internalize it into some lie we're mm-hmm. telling ourselves. And that lie becomes the truth when in fact, it's not at all. Mm-hmm. And, I w- and I'm so grateful. The land has taught me how to commune with it. The land has brought me to a place where I, I'm able to talk to the universe. I'm able to tap into that vibration. I'm able to listen and, under- and not put my own human failings and understandings on it. But when I get those things to go with it, because I don't have to understand it, I was blessed with the knowledge. I just need to go and do it. Mm. So important because I get guidance the the way my gifts manifest are one of the ways is I love being in the kitchen and creating things. And I have been gifted recipes for healing salves of late. And I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm following the intuition, that inner knowing. And I've created some really co-created because it's not just me some really healing salves. One has comfrey and another one has calendula and they're amazing in their healing powers. And I'd love to take credit for it, (laughs) but I know it's not me. Right. You know, these are, and, and that's, that's how I've been able to realize that my perceptions of myself are so limited compared with what I am when I'm connected with that divinity. I will agree 100%. That's right. We, we don't know, we don't see, and how many people walk around so trapped in their own little box that they don't even think of all you need is a little gap or a little pinhole to start seeing the light and go toward it before it continues to expand and, and fill us and allow us to serve and be stewards in a way that otherwise we can't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and. I know we connected on this is the land, the importance of the land and all the lessons it has to teach us. I, on a very small scale, connect with my garden and the cedar in my garden, but you actually have a farm. And that, to me, is one of the biggest lessons I could ever possibly have to learn from. So. You mentioned that you do dousing, and I loved what you said about tuning into what the soil needs. So just so your listeners know what dousing is, if you ever watch an old Western and somebody takes a stick or something like that, and they can find where the water is, or you can use it for other things, but that's how they mostly used it in these movies. And you could do the same thing with dousing rods. So I've I've got a set of dousing rods in And not everybody has the gift to do this, but I do have the gift. So what happens in the farming community, even though though we're organic grass only farmers, you know, the soil still needs things added to it. It needs nutrients. It needs, you know, minerals, that kind of thing. And what happens with most farms is that farmers, you know, get sold this bill of goods that they put all this stuff in a spreader or whatever, 
and they take it out and they cover the entire field without really knowing what it needs or they spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on this equipment that's supposed to tell them when in fact all you need is is a $15 set of dousing rods from Amazon and, and <laughs> I mean, well it's serious and then what happens is I take our little side by side out there and each pasture and your yard probably has this too so each pasture has its own kind of heartbeat and its own energy point. So what I do is I use the dousing rod to find that energy point. And you would think that it's always on top of of a hill or something, but it's not, which was really interesting to me. And then what Mm. I do is once I find that energy spot, I ask the soil what it needs. So there's a list of 10 different minerals that I, and things that I go through, you know, lime, gypsum, you know, et cetera. And, and then I ask if it needs this, and then it'll tell me a yes or a no. So once I get through the list of, how, of, of what it wants, then I ask how much it wants. I mean, do you want a tablespoon? Do you want a half a cup? And, and then it kind of, you know, more than, a, more than a cup, less than a cup, you know, and then move that way. So it is kind of time consuming. Then, then I ask, do you, want it, do you want it on top of the soil, in a hole, or in a hole and covered? And so what happens is that, Once you get those things in there, the soil takes those nutrients and it's like there's all these little veins or little mini highways in the soil itself. And so this energy source shoots out these minerals and additives to where the soil needs it. And that's where where it gets deposited. So instead of just spreading this stuff nilly-willy, it has a purpose and it's going to where it's needed, not just where I might think. And and it's and what happens is then when you go out in the soil afterward, and I didn't tell you this part. So because we're grazers, we're our cattle are going from paddock to paddock. We move them twice a day. They're smaller paddocks so that they eat down the, a level of grass to a certain, you know, to a certain height, and then we move them to the next pasture, etc. Mm-hmm. And when I go out in these fields and I go to some of these areas and I stand in the field, not where I'm sitting on the side by side, you can just you can just feel the love and the gratitude of Mother Earth. And and it's so humbling to think that that I could be given a gift that could make such an impact for our stewardship over what we have been given, that we really can leave it in a better place and that we're treating it well. And the amount of insects, the amount of different kinds of birds that are coming back, all these other things over the years is just it's so heartwarming and and it and you realize that you're doing the right thing. But dousing these dousing rods, the other thing is, is if you've got this gift, you can use it for a lot of different things. So, so if I'm go, if I'm going in, I know people look at me weird, but I'll go into the health food store and I'm looking for a vitamin, or, or let's say, for instance, right now I've got a bacterial infection in my knee. I have no idea how I got it, but I've got it. So I went in there with my dousing rod and I held up different products to see if that's what my body wanted. When I found the one that is kept going, yes, really strongly. I bought mm-hmm. it. I started taking it. My knee's getting better. On our cattle, if we've got hoof problems, if we've got this, I can go ask, what What do you need? And then if it needs, you know, sulfur and, and peroxide, and I can't remember the other thing that we put in there, iodine. And then and then I'll ask, you know, I say, well, does it need this? Does it need this? And then I, I'll i know what to put in a spray bottle to start treating mm-hmm. this animal because I've gotten affirmation of what that animal needs, not what I intellectually think or some textbook says. And we do the same thing on people. Mm-hmm. So if you had somebody come in 
And Erica, and you were making one of these bombs. You could ask right there with your dowsing rod if there were other things that needed to be added to make it more effective if that person was there mm-hmm. to hold it. Mm-hmm. That totally makes sense. Like with, with the one I made for my mom, it was a comfrey one. And she wasn't there, but I felt her energy. And I, I heard put the comfrey in calendula, uh, put the comfrey in castor oil because I know castor oil is really good for healing the body. Mm-hmm. And then I was shown hemp oil for the pain. And then I was told frankincense. I can't remember the other one because I didn't write it down, but like I was shown which essential oils to put in it. Yeah. And we gave it to her and she was stunned at how powerful it was. And it was like, well, that I didn't make it. You know, this this was given to me and and I'm fascinated by how beautifully when we're out of our heads, how beautifully that information comes through us and allows us to do something more than we would do on our own. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100 percent. It's and it's a beautiful thing to tap into that. And be able to use those gifts for the greater good. Mm-hmm. Because, and and your your connection with the land just warms my heart so much. Because Mother Earth is such a it's, it's alive and it wants our love, and it wants our attention, it wants our appreciation. And for me, I am the recipient of your hard work in Oregon, because I go to my farmer's market every week and I am blown away by the fact that I don't have to grow my own food. Yeah. That is such, that's such a powerful gift that, that I have the awareness of. And then I get to interact with individuals who have committed themselves to the greater good. And it's such a blessing. So it's, it's interesting to me that I when I hear people who talk negatively about cattle and you know and dairy farmers and stuff, but having cattle on the land and how that's so terrible, and yet I'm going to tell you that the earth loves having the cattle on there. They loved having the buffalo and everything because what happens is it keeps the foliage down at a certain point, and when you've got this foliage down at a certain point, then you end up where it it controls the weeds, which is mm-hmm. really a good thing. The second part of that is that you've got cattle who are, as they're eating and moving their way through the grasslands and the pastures or whatever you want to call it, then all of a sudden they're dropping their waste as they go. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, it's going right back into the soil. And then the third part is their hooves help break up the soil and aerate the soil. Mm-hmm. And continues And so that rhythm of the hooves on the soil continue this cycle of healthy insects living in the soil, healthy worms. I mean, one of the worst things you can do is put up a windmill, one of those big air or wind generators, because Mm -hmm. the migration into the earth makes the land sterile because no insects or worms will be near it because of the And you and, And unless you know that, and you've studied that and you're familiar with Mother Earth and the role that all the insects and everything play, you wouldn't know that. And so there's so much that that the animals bring to the soil that makes it healthier. Whereas if you don't have that in animal impact, the soil doesn't do nearly as well. It doesn't produce as well because it's missing some certain, some 
elements. And part of that is the hooves walking, you know, being on the earth and in in the pastures and and whatever that stimulates or whatever vibration that brings, it's it's good for the earth. And so it's an interesting it's an interesting perspective. It is because, you know, it, it comes back to the interconnectivity of us all and how we don't have the big picture, but there is a big picture. Right. And we, if we are open to it, we can be part of that greater unfolding. And it's such a beautiful gift. I mean, I personally, sadly, I say this very truly, I sadly can't eat dairy anymore. And if I could, I would be eating the grass fed because it, it the nourishment that they, that cattle get from eating that diet is so much more than they could in conventional farming. Right. And so this is driving me to another question. What prompted you to want to go organic? The land told us to. Mm. And the same with grazing. We just, we, my husband and I both received this inspiration, revelation, whatever you want to call it, that we needed to be grazing. We didn't need to be raising corn and beans and every other farmer. We needed to be grazing. And so we started that first. And, you know, there's, you know whenever you start something new, and that was, that was back in like 2000, the year 2000. So it was 20 years ago, wow. people doing it at that point. Right. And so it was, you know, we didn't, we didn't plan on going organic at that point. We were just trying to find a way of what was better and healthier for our animals. And what's really interesting is, you know, I live in Minnesota and our cattle, because of our grass, remember, they don't get fed grain. They don't get fed soybeans, no corn, nothing like that. And they are really fleshy. They've got a lot of flesh and fat on them when they go into work, which is exactly what they need. But it's because mm-hmm. they've got, when, when my husband has this, this process and he knows he's, he's intuitive and he knows what the, what should be different blends that should be in the pastures. So every time our cattle take a bite, it's like they're getting a buffet, mm-hmm. you know? So there's some of this, some of that, some of this, some of that. It's not where it's all just one thing. And and so they they go toward what they need. So a cattle that might so after a long winter, one of the first things that that I ever noticed was when dandelions come out, our mm. cattle run and eat the dandelions. They were these are big animals that literally when he moves the fence, they run trying to get first to the dandelions. And wow! But it's because it's a detox. Yeah, it is. And they know that instinctively. And so they go there and that's what they need after this long winter of eating all of the baled feed that we've been feeding them that we put up in the summertime. You know, another, I think, and this is again, the gospel according to Sue. (laughs) I think that if every person who has a yard would go out and spend a few minutes standing in their yard, if they would quit having play, you know, those companies that come and make their yard green and have no... Mm -hmm. Weeds are a function of a, a deficiency of minerals and nutrients in your soil. And mm. so if you would turn around and if they can they can spread stuff on your on your lawns at a much higher rate than what farmers are allowed to do legally. And all of that washes right into your ground and mm. you're drinking this crap. I mean, seri- and I mean we all are because it's it goes into the groundwater and then whether you've got a will or well or city water. Well, you know, even if you filter your water, some of that's going to come through. And mm-hmm. if everybody 
who had a yard, just think of this for a minute. How could we change the world and the dynamics, the mental health, the, the peace, the relationships of people as if every day, as long as weather was willing, you went out and you stood there for 10 minutes in your bare feet just to commune with the, with the earth and let it seep from your soul on up to your body. Can you imagine the difference we mm. make in the world? We don't have to be like Gandhi where we're walking all over. All we have to do is get a neighborhood of people to stand in their yard for a few minutes and then expand mm. it to the next neighborhood, then expand it to the next neighborhood. Mm. I love that. So I do that at my garden. There's this big picnic table and I'll, and there's this perfect spot where I can take my shoes off and I'll just sit there and I'll bliss out for a half hour and I won't want to move. I won't need to do anything. I have no interest in anything else other than just sitting there and feeling the earth. And it's such a powerful connection because I feel like I'm it's rebooting healing. myself. It's healing. It is. It's healing for what we don't even know ails us. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful. I, I know I can tell the difference when I do it. I sleep really well. When I don't do it, I don't sleep as well. It's simple as that. Yeah. It's like if nothing else, it's, it's good for that. Can you imagine these big companies out where you are? Have a have a, a large mm-hmm. lot where they just have grass and, and at lunch everybody has to take their shirt of fifteen minutes out there in the grass. Barefoot. I would love that. You know it won't happen, but can you imagine how productivity would soar, how oh. would lessen, peace and, and joy would be restored into the workplace. There wouldn't be the power plays because they feel fulfilled and satisfied already because of what they got from from standing and grounding on the on the earth. Mm-hmm. No, maybe maybe things will shift. I mean, we're in this this fascinating time in our history where a lot of people aren't going to work every day, and maybe they're actually connecting on a deeper level with what's important. I hope so. I, I hope. Yeah, so. we sure needed a correction. Hmm. So, question for you. <laughs> So you inherited this beautiful property? No, the one where we own 600 or we farm 600 acres, we own 320. So we own, we own 180 and, and then the other hundred or the other, was it 140 or something like that is, is a place we inherited. And it's, my husband always knew that he would inherit that. My, my father-in-law had quite a bit of land. And so he divided it between the four boys. And we knew we were going to get that farm because we're the only ones who live here and his and, you know, and take care of the land and have the livestock. And the other ones, you know, his youngest brother passed away, but the other two live in cities far away and they are absentee landlords and they don't care what the people put on the land as long as they get their rent checks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Are you kind of stewards for that or? Are we what? stewards for that like do you like kind of monitor the people nope. with the other no okay they don't nope his two brothers they think what we're doing they don't see the point in it they think it's ridiculous they would never even consider that you would want to bond with the land that way okay they're more into golf carts and and you know fancy vacations and you know all sorts of other things things that don't really that don't resonate with you Right. Yeah. Just a difference in viewpoint and lifestyle yeah. and choices. Yeah, absolutely. So you're farming and you have six kids and you decide you want to speak publicly. 
Yeah. How did that happen? When I was in high school, there was a speaker in our school who was so riveting that I knew at that moment I wanted to be a speaker. And, mm. and so I, even the eighth grade boys were sitting still listening. I mean, it was really powerful. And that is impressive. Yeah, I know. That's what that, I think that's probably what really got my attention. So I decided at that moment, I knew I wanted to be a speaker, but I didn't know how, I didn't know what. And then I had an opportunity. I don't know if you remember this, but back in, back in 73, in 72, I think it was, they started a big push to decode the codes that were on baby food jars, because at that point, nothing was labeled where you could read expiration dates. It was all coded. Wow. And yeah, and so I was, well, I was eating that stuff. So, <laughs> so I was so so I was in high school at this point, and for some reason, the little town I lived in or lived by was two thousand people, and we were. They asked if anybody wanted to partake in this, and I thought, well, that sounded cool. So I was one of the people, one of the few people who decided to go into the the two little grocery stores in our town and decode these things. And I found stuff that was expired like by three years. And at one point mm. I was sitting there and a gal came in, opened up the jar, put her finger in it, licked it, didn't like it, put the lid on and put it back on the shelf. What? So anyway, because of, because of that experience and because of the report I turned in, I was asked to go, when I, as soon as I graduated from high school in 1973, I was asked to go to the Biltmore Hotel in Los Angeles, California, and be one of six people chosen nationally to share my findings. And wow. So I went and I prepared really well and I did a I did a great job. And then they had us, they had the chair set on the on the edge of the stage. So we would be sitting looking at the back of the stage and then the audience would be behind us so that they could get pictures. Well, Grace has never been my middle name and I sat on the chair. And this was, you know, I was a lot littler at that point. Mini skirts were really in. And I sat on this chair, pushed the back of the, the le- pushed the back two legs off of the edge of the of the stool. And the chair and I went head over heels and dropped about three feet on the ground. And everybody, oh. are you okay? Are you okay? Well, I was okay, but I was mortified. And the only thing that came out of my mouth was, did my underwear show? Well, of course, <laughs> I had a mini skirt on. I mean, and so, so I, so I didn't do anything for a long time. I thought, okay, that isn't going to work for me. And then once I had, so then I, I got married, had a couple of kids, went through divorce, got remarried. And, and at that point I was a mortgage lender and I got involved with an organization as a member. And the person who owned the franchise saw some possibility and some promise in me and she wanted to grow her region. And so she gave me the freedom to step in and try some different things and really grow into the potential and the dream I had. And that's how I got started. I got started standing there talking for 10 minutes with my paper shaking because I was scared to death, even though there was no stage in sight where I was going to fall off, to where I could speak internationally and speak to 600 people and and have standing ovations and, and everything like that because of what I delivered. But because of being involved in that organization, I spoke for about 20 years and probably 15 years, well, you know, maybe 13, 14 years with them. And what happened was I, I was, because all of these people had businesses or were employees, they would invite me to their company or they would invite me to other events, organizations, associations to come and speak. And and that's how I got my start. The problem was, is that when I was speaking for this other organization, I wasn't allowed to sell anything. I was talking about the trainings and things I did within that organization. 
to help all the people internationally do well. So it's BNI. I don't know if you've heard of it, Business Network. Mm-hmm. Okay. So at any rate, I was one of their one of the people who spoke a lot on their national and international stages, and as well as other other places when regions would have me come in. And then I knew I needed to leave. That things were changing. My boss brought or you know brought in her daughter, and all of a sudden, instead of being about how can we serve our members, is how much money can we make and how many more mm. bring in. And it was a real shift, and I could sense that, and I wasn't comfortable with it. But I knew I was at the point where I needed to to move on anyway. And so it kind of it was a kick in the butt I needed to start my own business. And by that time, we'd already gone through the barn fire. So I was already making good money speaking when I did because I was careful about where I was speaking. And then so then I started that process and I was just on my own and it was going really, really well. I got 70% of the requests to speak through LinkedIn. Actually, I didn't even because I was so well known, I, I didn't have to go out and pitch myself per se, which which was a really nice was really nice for me. And but then partway through that, I got sick because I was traveling so much. I got adrenal fatigue Mm. and it was really bad. And for about six months, I sat in a chair and stared at a blank TV screen because I didn't have energy to do anything else. It was like I was a stoner without the munchies. I mean, not nothing I know what it's going to be like, of course, but you know, (laughs) but at any rate, so so it, it allowed me to kind of rethink my process. So what I did during that time was I realized that my body probably wasn't going to go back to having the energy and everything that I did before. So I I took my process and I wrote it all out and then I created a course. And because I had so many people always saying, how do you make money from speaking? Can you teach me how to do it? Then, you know, as soon as I was able, I was able, I switched over and I started coaching people on how to speak and make money speaking. So it's about finding the right speaking gigs, but it's about everything else that you have in place. So it's more about the business of speaking, which Mm. nobody ever talks about. Then at the beginning of this year, what I decided to do was I I thought, you know, with so many people, their lives are crazy. They're they're working these eight to five, nine to fives. They can't run and jump into, you know, they can't go and travel. Even if it's a local event, you're looking at least 90 minutes most of the time. Most people can't do that, plus the other obligations. People were already too frazzled and too stretched. And I thought, you know, podcasts, I've been on on enough podcasts. I thought podcasts would be the perfect venue because they're pre-recorded, you know, all of that. You know, you could be in your bedroom slippers in your house coat. Well, that's probably an old saying, you know, but your bathroom robe or whatever. And and you could turn around and, and you could be a guest on podcast and share your magic, share your passion, share your abilities and talents and gifts in a way that maybe you're held back from because of time constraints or other resource constraints. And, and that was where I moved to. And I thought that was really interesting because again, it was divine. It was all of a sudden this, you need to focus on podcasts. Mm. And I was like, okay. And I think that's one of the things when you listen to these voices and when you respond, they tend to get louder and you don't question it. You just recognize where it's coming from instead of second guessing it and you take action. So it was really fun. I had taken the information that it was in my other course because some of it's different when you're doing podcasts. And I converted mm-hmm. that into a podcast on how to help people get on podcasts. And I was just rolling that out and had clients getting started when all of this came about. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That's amazing. Yeah. It's like, we're giving you a hint. 
<laughs> we're not going to tell you why we're giving you a hint, but podcasts are the way to go right now. But sometimes I'm not so sure it's a hint as it is a kick in the butt and a, and a, yeah. and a smack in the head, you know? Come on, mm-hmm. we're giving you a tip here. <laughs> but I, but I'm, I'm grateful because I know that without the spiritual aspect, without being in tune, listening and following through, Mm-hmm. I would not have had the success I've had. I wouldn't have been able to impact the lives of seeing their successes. I wouldn't have, I, I wouldn't have had all these other things. So, so going back. So when I was divorced, I was leaving my job. I left my job at Mayo Clinic. I was a medical secretary in nuclear cardiology, wanted to barf every day. And, yeah. and, and so at church, they kept saying, Oh, there's this guy you should meet this guy you should meet. Finally, I got so tired of it. I said, I'm sick of it. So then I got this call from a from um, a guy, you know, and his wife one evening, and they said, "So we'd like to invite you and your two daughters over for dinner on Friday night." And I thought, "Hmm, she's a really good cook. I think I'll go." <laughs> so <laughs> I said, "Great, we'd love to." And he goes, "Well, by the way, there's somebody who wants to meet you." And I said, "If it's Chuck Henry, I don't want to go." And George George says, "He doesn't want to marry you. He just wants to meet you." And I thought, "Fine." She's still a cook, and so and so went. Well, it ended up where the host and hostess left the room, and we didn't even notice. So that was on a Friday night. Saturday night, we got together with his two kids and my two kids. Went really well. Sunday, we decided that we would get married. Five weeks later, we went and got married, and it's been wow. And it has been thirty-two years next month. Wow! Divine inspiration. Hmm. Now, I tell my kids, don't do as I did. <laughs> said, you, know, you, should, you should know somebody a little bit longer than that. A little bit longer. <laughs> yeah. But you were getting nudged a lot. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'd already been through, and, and it was cool because I had written down a list of the things I wanted if I ever chose to got, get married again, because my opinion was no man was better than most men after being married to the person I was. And and so when I told him on, on that third night after we decided to get married, he says, well, you should probably come out and see where you're going to live. I thought, well, yeah, that might be a good thing. And so so I came out mm-hmm. here and I had my list with me. I said, I just want to go through this list because things are moving fast. I just want to make sure that we're, we're on track here, you know. Said, oh, just a minute. Let me get out my list. They were identical. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you can't you can't make that stuff up. No, you can't. No, you can't. And then we had we had another daughter. We had a daughter that I w- I didn't read that the pill would render it erythromycin or erythromycin would render the pill ineffective. So we had a oops, and then and then we were too old. We were older and too tired to play with her like we did the other kids. So we had another one. So she had a playmate. So it worked out really well. <laughs> And it's just, you know, they're just enjoying our lives. Now we got six gorgeous grandkids and it's all really good. Mm. Blessed beyond compare. That's so beautiful. When did you start out realizing that you had a connection to the divine? When I was a when I was in elementary school, the kids used to, I was in trouble a lot. So I was always getting spankings and stuff like that. And I'm not saying I didn't deserve it. My parents didn't beat me. So I, that's not where I'm trying to go with this. And mm-hmm. and in school, it was back in the day when you did class pictures, not not individual pictures. And mm-hmm. by second grade, the kids were begging me not to come to school because I was so ugly. I ruined the oh. 
I I run the entire school picture or the class picture. Oh. In my third grade, I just would pretend to be sick every day. And I remember one time after after getting teased it a lot at school and getting in trouble when I came home and and just really hating myself. I remember praying and asking God why He even made me. If He why did, why would He even make somebody so despicable? Why would oh. me? I can remember laying in this little in this little bedroom, just crying my heart out, and I couldn't talk to my parents or anything like that about it. And and that night I had a dream, and the dream came to me three times, and and I can only assume it's an angel, but but something came to me, and put their arms around me and told me, and told me that I was loved, and someday someday I would I would make a difference. And I would be able to hold my head up and know that I was good enough and that I was sharing something that, that other people really needed. And I would be making a big difference in a positive way in their life and just basically kind of to hang in there. And, and that's, and so at that moment, when that happened, I knew it. I didn't doubt that it happened. I didn't doubt that some being came to me, whatever form that was. I just knew at that moment that I would truly, somebody loved me as as I might be. Somebody loved me. And that was, that was what has, had kept me through a lot of the dark times. I love that so much. Cause when you're an intuitive little girl, cause I was too, you don't fit in and to know that because you're so different, that actually means that you're special. And that you're gifted with a divine mission if you know you're loved. I think that that experience, and then as I got older when I didn't fit in, it gave Mm -hmm. me peace Mm -hmm. with not fitting in. I had no idea what impact I would ever play or if anything would ever happen. It wasn't until I I was in my my early 40s that anything happened you know, that, that I started stepping into that, but all of that was the groundwork. And I think that when we, if if we are open, we're all loved, but, but our head tries to tell us we're not, we let society dictate how we should feel about ourselves. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the things I love most about grounding and being out in the earth is that, and, and out when I take the ranger out in the, in the fields and go down by the woods and I see the deer and the woodchucks and the, and the gophers and the hawks and all the bald eagles and all that. There's something that that it it resonates with my soul in a way that it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks because I know that I'm doing good. I'm not doing anything to hurt anybody, not doing anything for, you know, trying to manipulate for my own personal gain or anything of that nature. And so people can think what they want, but I'm at peace. And in the at the end of the day, isn't that one of the most important things we can have because I know that as much as I screw up because we all do we're human but imagine knowing that when we pass from here and we and you know whether it's Jesus God whatever your faith may have I believe there's going to be some kind of a reckoning and and knowing and in to my opinion this isn't a god of damnation and hell fire and all of that but it's it's a god of love and mercy and compassion empathy understanding and that our hearts are looked into not just our actions mm-hmm. 
I agree. Because our hearts, we get so tripped up sometimes by what society places on us for expectations. And yet when I tune into my soul, which I can do very well when I'm grounding, I feel the purity of it. I feel the love within me. I know that is what I truly am. And to bring myself back to that is so critical for me to do my work because this is not something that my ego particularly is thrilled about that I'm a spiritual podcaster. Yet my soul rejoices. And what is more important to my being than feeling that? I think when you find your connection, whether it be with the earth, you know, being uh, grounding with your feet on the soil, whether it be the water, the mountains, I mean, everybody may have some different things that really grounds them. But when you find that spot, you may be alone, but you'll never be lonely Mm -hmm. because you always feel a part of something so incredible. Mm -hmm. So very true. Yes, we could talk for more hours. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to ask one more question because this is such a beautiful spot of bliss and peace that I'm feeling. How do people find you, Sue? The best way would probably be if if they want to talk to me about speaking or if they want to talk to me about spirituality, organic, grounding, what, dousing, what, what, whatever serves them better. The best way is my website is suehenrytalks.com. And there's a place on there where you can just hit it and you can email me and just tell me what you're looking for and how can we connect? Because mm-hmm. I think that your listeners are people who are striving to find that peace, that tranquility, that inner joy, and and be able to take it with them rather than having to go someplace to absorb it. And I think that a lot of the things we talked about will help them achieve that. I do too. Mm. I am so very grateful for this opportunity to have you on the show and to connect with you. Thank you so much. I wasn't sure what to expect. And the minute we started talking about spirituality, I knew that I was in the right place. I just love what you're doing. I love how you're putting yourself out there to spread the message so other people can find what they're looking for, because this isn't something that's found in a building. This is something that's already within you that you just need to find a method to bring out. Mm-hmm. Mm. You are such a blessing to the world. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And I believe the same about you, Erica. I am, I'm grateful that I had this opportunity. I'm excited that if anyone reaches out to me, but I wish you the peace and joy. And if you're ever in Minnesota, let me know. I would love to have you come out to our farm. Mm, I would love to see it. Thank you so much. You are welcome. The action item of the week is, guess what? Grounding! Go outside. I know this can be challenging in some areas, but do it anyways and stand or sit barefoot in grass, moss, or soil for a minimum of 10 minutes a day for a week. See how you feel at the end of it. And definitely enjoy it. Until next time, I bid you the highest peace, love, and prosperity. Namaste.
there's a vision of our soul shine I can feel it yours and mine close your eyes and witness it inside in your bones you will know trust and let go and let it flow